For by him, all things were created. Let me hear you say created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is above, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now I know this is just a reoccurring theme over and over in this church of, of God and his sovereignty, his supremacy, and how he is the creator and the designer, and how he's before all things, above all things, holding all things together, but I, I just feel that I'm just repeating over and over what God's word already tells us, how, how important it is for us to have our minds fixed on a God who is all-powerful and yet chooses to love us. Doesn't need to, doesn't have to, wasn't lonely, wasn't bored, perfectly fulfilled in his trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet he chose to create us out of his glory for his glory. And so today we're gonna be talking through this a little bit. We're gonna take a moment right now. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna ask if you would just one more time with this atmosphere and attitude of worship, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I don't normally do this, but I do wanna take just a special moment right here, just a side moment to pray. I'm gonna ask as a church if we would just to pray. There's a lot of chaos around the world right now, especially pertaining to the Middle East and a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ are there and in, in very real danger of their lives. Uh, it's not that they're choosing to not gather, they're choosing to still gather even though the threat of death, rape, being sold into slavery is not just a chance, but very highly likely. And in my attempt to convey this this morning, eyes closed, heads bowed, is not to be extreme, it's just to be honest, and that's the reality. And so I'm gonna ask for two things. Number one, I'm gonna ask that you would, that we would as a church, whether you're online with us today or here in person, would you, number one, would you pray for Christ to return quickly. Would you pray for that right now? Scripture tells us that Jesus will return. I'm gonna ask right now that we as a church just pray, God, would you come? Would you return? Your word tells us to ask for this, to look for this, and we don't do it near enough. Father, would you return, Lord? We're gonna end to this chaos and restlessness and hurt and pain and death that we see in this world. Secondly, I would ask that you would pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and China, right now under the very real threat of persecution. I want you to pray this specifically. God, give them strength to stand. Give them courage to stand. Right now. Father, thank you that we were able to gather here freely today without threat of any persecution. We live in a country where we can freely talk about you, freely gather. 
what a blessing it is. May we not take that for granted. I ask that you would move powerfully today in your church. We believe that you are God. There's none like you. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, who you sent to die for us, rise again. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who when we follow Jesus and dwells us and lives in us, we believe in your church, your ecclesia, you gather us together, not so that we can stay here, but so that we can go out and take your mission into the world to tell, to teach, to disciple those who are far from Christ. Equip us today, make us strong and bold. In Jesus' name, we all said very loud, amen. amen. Hey, turn and shake somebody's hand this morning. Welcome them to church. Well, I want to welcome you this morning to Covenant. It's great to have you. Great to have you here today. Um, we, have, we have gone a couple weeks now through this series called Brainwash, where we're really specifically talking about apologetics. I've enjoyed this a lot. Uh, have you guys enjoyed this? Okay, that's always such a blessing when you throw it like that and nobody, no. I've, I've really enjoyed this. I know that you have as well. And even if you haven't, I have a microphone, so it doesn't matter. Um, today, however, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. They're like, you're like a lot more than before. It's just, it's just a lot for a lot of reasons. And so I have to upfront just let you know we are going to be putting notes on the screen. I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen if you need to. We're in an off season right now for our small groups. They start up in a couple weeks. Uh, but this is not a comprehensive talk, okay? It, it's not, it's not going to cover all the bases, but my goal is to give you a framework uh, just to build off of so that you can have a competent conversation. And you say, around what? Well, let me ask you this. If, if somebody were to ask you, uh, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? You're like, oh, I thought this was going to be bigger than this. I can answer that. For many of us, we would say, we'd raise our hand and say, well, I'm a Christian because of Jesus. Amen? We'd say that. Amen? Jesus saved me. Jesus was sent from God, and, and he, he saved me. And, you know, in a way that I could get to God. That's why I'm a Christian. And, and by the way, that's a good answer. That's a great answer. That is really the only answer. Uh, scripture tells us that because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen, that we can be saved. We can have a way to get to God. Amen? Yes? I'm a little pumped today. I hope you're with me. But here's the thing. What if your friend, what if your barista, what if your neighbor takes it a step further? You think that you've dropped all the apologetic knowledge that you can. You're like, I've, I've proved. I've proved why I'm a Christian, because of Jesus. And Jesus was sent from God. But what if they ask you this? And this is the question for today. Okay. So why do you believe in God? And that's the, que the question. Why do you believe in God? Now, here's the problem. That's a big question. And... If you get that question wrong, nothing else you say matters. Really, to be honest with you, if you can't identify why you believe in God, why you believe in the God of the Bible, and why you even believe that God exists, then talking about Jesus, I hate to say it this way, it's not that it's meaningless or pointless, it's just that it's going to be lost on somebody. 
Because many people would see God as, as predating Jesus. Now, we understand that Jesus Christ is God. But my point is, if you point to why you're a Christian, because as, as, I believe in Jesus, and that God sent Jesus, and they say, okay, well, great, but why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in God at all? And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, in the next 25 minutes and 26 seconds, give you a framework on how you can talk about the existence of God. And so the very first thing you have to understand is that this is an apologetic discussion. We've, we've been rooted in this passage, 1 Peter 3.15, where it says that we are to, we're to honor Christ in our hearts as holy. And we're always ready to, we're always prepared to give or make a defense. That word defense is the word apologia. We get our, our word apologetics from it. It means to wrestle, grapple, fight through. We are, we are to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us. This is a big one. Why does God exist? And the first thing you really want to begin to have a conversation around in the existence of God is you have to get a reference or a framework on what somebody's belief in God is. Because maybe you say, yeah, I believe in God, they believe in God, but that's, that's not taking into account that they might believe in a different God than I do. And that's not going to help at all. And so we kind of broke these up into three different perspectives. I encourage you to write these down if you'd like to. The first, as it pertains to God, is theism. Let me hear you say theism. Theism is, is the belief that God made all. God made all. Theism. Now, under theism, you're going to have some major world religions. Clearly, you're going to have Christianity. But you're going to have Islam and you're going to have Judaism as, as, as well. And, and honestly, there's a subcategory of theism, which is polytheism, and that's going to be more Hindu, where there's thousands of gods, many gods, right? Polytheism. But that falls under the subcategory of theism. So theism, God made all. And then you have pantheism. Pantheism is another perspective. And instead of God made all, pantheism would say God is all. Now, to give you a little bit of reference here, think about Star Wars. Use the force, Luke, right? The force it's not that God created the universe in a pantheistic worldview. It's that God is the universe. You follow me? Does that make sense? And so from nature to rocks to trees to you to myself to the stars, we are all gathered under one universal collective consciousness that makes us all God. Everything has God in it. God is in all. That really is the pantheistic perspective. And then lastly, we have the atheistic perspective. Atheism, oh, and by the way, in pantheism, you have religions like Buddhism. You have religions uh, like Shinto in Japan. You have other perspectives from Wiccan to pagan. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, what, that's where those fall. Atheism, though, says this. There's no God at all. So in theism, God made all. Pantheism, God is in all. And then when it comes to atheism, it's that there is no God at all. Now, here's why it's so important. When we talk about a theistic perspective, by the way, by the way there's a lot that goes into atheism. I'm also including agnostics in atheists, okay? So agnostic atheism, you say, what does agnostic mean? Agnostic means, hey, there might be a God, there might not be a God. But if there is a God, I can't really know him, so there might as well not be a God at all, Okay? And so we do find people being agnostic atheists very often today. Those are the three major perspectives out as it pertains to God. Now, I'm going to talk from a theistic perspective. And you say, why are you going to do that? Because I am a theist. I believe in God. 
Not only that, but I am a monotheist, which means I believe in one God. And so that means that I'm going to be classified biblically, just, I'm sorry, not biblically, but just classically as a monotheistic uh, individual. I could, I could, under that title, belong to Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. You guys with me so far? Yes? Okay. Are you with me so far? Yes? All right, good, because we got, it's going to get a lot deeper, um, a lot deeper than this. So let's define God in a theistic sense. What is God? Let's give him something, okay? God uh, would be defined as beyond the world he created. A spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things, sustains all things, and whose every attribute is infinite. We're going to leave that definition up for a minute. Let me just read this one more time. God is defined by a theist, one who believes in God, a monotheist, is that he, he is beyond the world that he created, a speechless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things, sustains all things, and whose attributes are infinite. Now, that's theism in a nutshell. I also mentioned pantheism, God is in all also mentioned atheism, there's no God at all. Now, here's where we oftentimes get tripped up and overwhelmed at this point in time. Because as an apologist, I mean as a Christian, by the way, those words should be synonymous. If you are a Christ follower, you should equally be an apologist. You understand that? That's where we would get an amen on a loud, boisterous day. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are expected, according to Scripture, to be an apologist. Amen? That's what it means. You know, I think we have some work to do that. I know I do. I know we all do, right? And that's, that's the purpose of talking through this. Here's the problem as a Christ follower. We might feel that we need to know everything there is to know about Islam, about Hindu, about Shinto. You're like, I've never heard that. I thought that was a Street Fighter II move, okay? Uh, about atheists, about agnosticism. But here's the point. You don't. You really don't. The best thing that you can do is learn what your scripture teaches you about your God. And when somebody brings a question to you and says, well, what about this? Or what about this? You know, this religion says this. You can say, I don't know anything about that. But I can tell you what my scripture says. I can tell you what my Bible says. Because the Bible, at the end of the day, the Bible is going to be, and the Holy Spirit is going to be the greatest apologist, better than you could ever be. Amen? We believe that as we read scripture, as we speak scripture, that the Holy Spirit is going to be working and moving through it. Scripture tells us it will not return void, which means as a Christ follower, every time, listen now church, every time you speak God's word, the Holy Spirit is working. He is moving. And we already know that it is not God's desire that any man, any woman, any child should perish Without, without repenting and coming to Christ. So that means as you share God's word, the Holy Spirit is drawing men, drawing women to it. Allow God to work through you by speaking scripture. Do not allow this world to break you by making you think that I gotta know every answer to everything. No, you don't, that's impossible. That's impossible. I do wanna give you three things though in terms of an argument and theism and our theistic God that will help you. First off is this. When you're talking to somebody about God and they say, okay, why does God exist? Prove that God exists. Here's the first one. And it's called the cosmological argument. 
The cosmological argument, you're like, are we going to talk about science? Yes and no. And here's the good news. If you flunk science in high school, that doesn't make you a bad, bad Christian. That might make you a dumb person, but it doesn't make you a bad Christian, okay? But you have to understand the cosmological argument is massive. I'm going to simplify it, but here, here it says, all things in nature depend on something else for their existence. I mean, honestly, that sounds less of an argument and more like logic to me. But it says in that the whole cosmos must therefore itself depend on a being which exists independently. When you think cosmological, think beginning. When you think cosmological, think beginning. When you're talking about the existence of God, we want to talk about the cosmological, uh, the cosmological argument. Simplified, it's this. Since there is a beginning, there is a God. Simply put, since there is a beginning, there is a God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The first place that you can work through your apologetics is with your own children. Like, well, this is so dense. This is so meaty. I don't think... I think that you could convey the fact that there was a beginning, and because there was a beginning, there is a God. This is massive in importance. Massive. Now, what's interesting about this is that you'll begin talking to somebody, and they'll say, well, I just can't believe in the existence of God because I believe in the Big Bang. To which I would respond, man, we're on the same page. I do too. Wait, what do you mean you believe in the Big Bang? I 100% believe in the Big Bang. My Big Bang just comes from a different place than yours. Your Big Bang believes that nothing met nothing and created something. My Big Bang says that there was a God who initiated light when he spoke, that he created with his words, that he said, let there be, and there was. Scripture defines this as ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Out of nothingness, God created. And so if there is a beginning, the cosmological argument states there must be a God. This is a big deal. Listen to how Paul says it. Not Paul, but Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah chapter 10. I love this passage. He says, it is he, it is God, who made the earth. What are the next three words, church? Read them nice and loud. How did he create the earth? By what? By his power. Who established the world. By what? His wisdom. And by his understanding stretched out the heavens cosmological argument and then it leads us into this next argument which is called the teleological argument I would get freaked out I know this is a big word but teleological comes from the Greek word telos and telos simply means end goal or purpose so the teleological argument states that complex functionality in the natural world is not just created and this is important now listen now it's not just that there was a creator who created but it's that was, it, was, it was created, it was designed intelligently and intentionally for a purpose. So it's not just that God created a world and then said, all right, see you later, you know, pulled the Costanza. That's all, folks, and got out of there. It's that he created intelligently, that he designed intentionally. In fact, simply put, the teleological argument is that there is an intelligent designer who designs intentionally. So second big dense point, the teleological argument that the conversation you can have with your kids, God, uh, hey dad, uh, does God exist? Yeah, how do I know he exists? Well, son, there's a beginning. And because there's a beginning, there's a God. And also this God didn't just create, he designed intelligently and intentionally. 
You see how simple that is? You see how much logic is involved in that? Completely backed by scripture. In fact, Romans chapter one says this. You find passages about the teleological argument all through scripture. It says this. For his invisible attributes, God's, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since, watch this now, this is important, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. From atoms and molecules to the human eye, I just want to ask you to use the intellect that God put in you and take a look around. And maybe you would say, yes, I believe that there's a creator, but I don't believe that was an intelligent being. Let me just ask you, how intelligent would you need to be to create the eye, which is presupposed on the molecular structure of your body, which is presupposed on top of the atoms that are inside of you, which are presupposed on top of the quarks that are in you. Like, what's a quark? I don't know. But somebody had to know that to put everything together. Things held together by gravity, go ask a scientist, what is gravity? They can't tell you what gravity is, but they can tell you what gravity does. We don't even comprehensively understand the world we live in every day. This world was created. Everything was created intelligently and intentionally for a purpose. And yes, I'll be honest with you, evolution will put forth these things and that these things were formed. But what a Darwinian evolutionist lacks, listen to me now, is purpose. Purpose. The only purpose for a Darwinian perspective for an evolutionist is survive. <laughs> that is your purpose. What's the purpose of life? Survival. Well, that, that's awesome. I'd love to be a part of that. Survive at any cost. In, in fact, survival of the fittest. So if you are the strongest, a Darwinian evolutionist would say, if you are the strongest, it is actually incumbent on you because of your evolution to take out the weak so that the strong can actually rise. Really the only purpose that there is. As a theist, that is not the case. We believe in God. We believe that God intentionally designed for an ultimate purpose. As Christ followers, we believe that the reason and the purpose behind any and all of creation is what, church? God's glory. We believe that the world was created out of God's glory for God's glory. We don't believe that God was lacking in glory, but loves his glory. In fact, as we've stated so many times, what is at the center of God's universe? Don't be so quick to raise your hand and say, me, I am at the, while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. While he was on the cross, God's glory was on his mind. Church, God's glory is at the center of all things. God's glory is at the center of God's desire. God's glory is at the center of everything. The reason you exist is to bring God glory. And you will bring God glory whether you desire to or not. You will bring God glory whether you choose to follow him or not. You can't help but bring God glory. You're like, what do you mean? You just spoke. You just took a breath. You are seeing me now. You are hearing. You are walking. You are moving. You are alive. And every breath you take is bring God glory. With every single, every single 
I almost said move you make and got into a song there. I'm sorry. But you get my point. For those of you who are, who've been saved by grace, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Or argument, argument number three, the moral argument. We got the cosmological, we got the teleological, now we have the moral argument. The moral argument states that a form or moral order, morally, moral normality, or some aspect of morality exists in humanity because a form of morality exists. There must be a creator or a standard of said morality. Let's say that one more time. The moral argument states that a form of moral order, moral normality, or some aspect of morality exists in, in humanity. Because a form of morality exists, there must be a creator and a standard of said morality. To put it simply, you have a conscience. At least most of you do. You have a conscience. And, and because we have a conscience, a sense of right and wrong, there must be an initiator of said conscience. Are you guys tracking with me? Does this make sense? There must be an initiator. There must be someone who put that inside of us. It's not that microbes have conscious consciences. It's not that lizards have consciences. It's not that a, that a tiger goes and attacks or a lion goes and takes down a, 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 a little gazelle in front of a, a mother gazelle and feels bad about it. They don't feel bad about it at all. Lions just be doing what lions be doing. And what lions be doing is eating gazelles. And they be doing it all the time. And they don't feel bad about it one iota. And yet when you and I we break the law, when we do something sinister, there is something inside of us. Now, maybe we're not moved by it, but there's something inside of us that says, yeah, this is probably wrong. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Man, I'm getting really deep in this. I, I probably need to. What you have to understand is that not only were you created intelligently, listen to me now, church, and intentionally, but each one of you was created out of the image of God. And that's why when we talk about things, side note, that's why when we talk about things like racism in our world, it, it lacks any theological perspective. Racism is the most ludicrous thing when it comes to the gospel. Because whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're from a, whatever persuasion you are in terms of your skin color, you are made, created in the imago Dei, the image of God. Amen? amen. We better get a better amen on that or I'm going to start questioning you. Amen? Yeah, so there's no space. And if you're like, well, I'm a racist, well, good. I probably won't see you in heaven, so enjoy your time here. Because there is no place for that in the kingdom of God. just want to be clear on that. I think I'm on the screen. Good, you can see me? I'm deadly serious. Why? How can you say that, Travis? Because we're born, built, created out of the image of God. And because we were made in the image of God, there is something written into our DNA. I love how Romans says this again, Romans chapter 2. Look at this. It says, for when Gentiles, Gentiles in this passage is an understanding that God had come to save the Jews, and now they're in this transition period that Paul is coming and saying, no, because Jesus Christ died and rose again, there's a new covenant. Now anyone who calls on the Lord now can be saved. It's not just Jews, but now Gentiles. By the way, most of us most likely would have been Gentiles, which means this is important for us. It says this, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, the law is how you were saved, by the way, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, 
while their conscience also bears witness. Now that's very important for us to understand. Does that mean that we're saved by our conscience? No. Does that mean that we know God because of our conscience? No. What does that mean? It means that a creator intentionally inserted an understanding of morality inside of humanity. And that means this. If there is a creator who inserted morality into humanity, said creator, said designer would have to be the standard of morality. And so these would be the three arguments that you would use to speak intelligently, hopefully, about the existence of God, the cosmological, the cosmological argument, hey, there's a beginning, there's a God. The teleological argument, hey, I believe in not just a creator, but a designer. He designed intelligently and intentionally. And I also believe in, in the moral argument. Because I have a conscience, there has to be a designer who put that conscience there and who is the standard. So, I know we've given a lot. We've got four minutes and 44 seconds left, so hang tight, okay? Let's just do a quick rundown. We have theism, God made all. We have pantheism, pantheism, God is all. We have atheism, no God at all. And the conversation revolved around theism is that since there is a beginning, there is a God. And because of the complexity of all that we know, that God must have designed these things intelligently, uh, intentionally. And because we have a conscience, this God who is outside of time and space is a standard for the morality that we have internally. We all on the same page so far? Yes? All right. Now I want to introduce you to the new player in the ism game. There's a new player in the ism game. He's always been around, but he's been bopping up a little bit lately, a little bit more. And, and his name is universalism. Universalism states that all humans will ultimately be saved. So whether you are a theist, a polytheist, whether you are a pantheist, even if you are an atheist, ultimately you will be saved in various ways, in different ways. But, but this is a new player to the game, to a, to a degree. And you're like, I've never heard of universalism. No, but I bet you have seen it. In fact, you've seen it on the back of everybody's car. A bumper sticker, you've seen that, right? Coexist. And it's made up of all the different symbols of all the different religions. And it says coexist. And, and, and universalism through this sticker really states what they're about. Universalism says, hey, can we all just get along? Hey, can we all just be friends? Hey, let's just... It's good. God's big enough that we can all live under the same peace consciousness. And that's what universalism says. It, it, it strives to grab these, these major areas, these major perspectives, theism, polytheism, pantheism, and atheism, and, and attempts to draw them in one big circle and say, God is so big and so loving and so kind that we will all be saved. That's what it says. I know that sounds good. I know that sounds kind but here's something that's very interesting at one of their core beliefs as a universalist is that everybody is worthy of human rights universally and they go on to talk about the different human rights that everyone is worthy of having so just by being born there in universalism you should have human rights and you're like well that doesn't really sound like too much of a problem that's, that's not a problem at all. That should be a good thing. And it is for sure until you discover that it's actually a farce. It's actually not possible. But human rights aren't possible? No. A universalist perspective that claims that universally people have rights. And you say, why? Let me tell you why. Because the other new player to the game is relativism. And if everyone is saved, 
and no one is doomed, and we can all live in under one big religious conscious tent or non-religious or spiritual thought tent, and we can all dwell there together, you've got a problem because relativism, listen to me now, has hijacked universalism. And you say, well, what's the big deal? I don't care about that. It's a big deal because in universalism, there is at least a truth. In relativism, you produce the truth. Your truth comes from you. You are the definer of truth. Do you see the problem? In universalism, there are human rights universally. In relativism, there are no human rights universally if you decide that there are not. In fact, in a relativistic culture, which we currently now live in, we look around and we're like, why is all this weird stuff happening? Can I tell you why? Because we live in a post-Christian relativistic society. If you don't want to define yourself as how you were born, relativism says, fine, don't do that. And who are you to tell me I'm wrong? I'm finding my truth. So you can't classify sexuality. You can't classify gender. And you certainly can't even classify or quantify truth. Relativism has hijacked universalism, taken it over from the inside out, making it nearly impossible impossible at all to define what truth is because in a culture where do you and all do me live your truth and all live mine no truth can be found listen to me church there is no playing with this and this is where we are in a culture that says your truth is good for you and my truth will be good for me you have to understand that there is no truth at all because everything is relative, up to and including human rights, the definition of human. You know, we're having conversations now about what qualifies as a human being because being a baby is not qualifying enough. We've already declared that being in the womb doesn't even necessarily give you the right to be called a human. Now, post-womb, you don't necessarily have the right to be called a human. Where does that come from? It comes from relativism. Where does that come from? We talked about this. It comes from secular humanism. What does humanism state? It's the same thing that our enemy stated to Eve in the garden. Ah, it's not that you shouldn't eat that apple. It's not that you shouldn't eat that fruit. It's that God knows when you eat that fruit, you will be a God. You will have the knowledge opened up to you. And I want you to have all knowledge. You are God. God's hiding that from you. God's keeping that from you. God's trying to not give you the best. At the end of the day, we are right back where we started. Being duped into believing, church, that God is not for us. That God is keeping something from us? That we get to define what truth is? No! Not at all. Theist perspective. Now, you might say, okay, that's all well and great, but that means Judaism, Islam, Christianity, we're on the same wavelength? No. Because, because I believe in the God of the Bible. So it's not just why do you believe in Jesus, it's why do you believe in God? And then it's, well, why do you believe in the God of the Bible? And I would say this, because I believe the Bible is true. 
well, how do you know? Why would you say the Bible is true? Well, I choose to believe in the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine in nature rather than human in origin. You just make that up. No, I preached a sermon out last week. That's the only reason I know it. And I encourage you to go back and listen. Ultimately, though, here's the deal, church. This isn't me just barking out some things and trying to sound smart. Lord knows it's not going to work. It's baseline what you need to know. You need to know why you believe what you believe. In a world that is relative, you need to know why you've chosen the truth to live by. You need to know whether you believe that there is an absolute truth found in God's word or not. People are going to ask you very emotional questions, and your faith in Jesus cannot be proved by your, by your level of emotionality. It doesn't matter. Your standard for truth cannot be proven experientially. No. You must give concrete evidence as to why you believe that Yahweh, why you believe the God of the Bible is truth, and not just truth, but the standard of truth for all people at all times, at all places. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to take a moment, in just a moment, we're going to worship again, just briefly. But right now, I want to encourage you. Because for some of you, we're going to be honest, I think maybe we might have, we had the potential at least to tune out. Well, this isn't really a sermon for me. This is a little bit different of a teaching. No, my friend, this is, this is for you because this is for all of us. When you know why we believe what we believe, I want you to make a commitment today to begin the journey of knowing why you believe what you believe. I want you to know why you believe in the God of the Scriptures. I want you to begin having these conversations. They're important. Not enough of us are having them. Sure, we might invite a friend to church or we might mention that we, we, uh, we go to church. But Jesus encourages us to go way farther than that. We need to make disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, that means you've got to get out there and begin sharing what you believe. Take a moment right now. Work through the, con the conviction that you have in your heart. Maybe take a moment to repent and talk with your intelligent designer that we get to call Father, who loved us so much that he didn't just create us, but he created us with a purpose. And he wrote his code on our hearts, and then he sent his own son to die for us so that we could know him. Spend a moment right now.